64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor SF Walker. I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise. To walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. Today, we look at Team Human by Douglas Rushkoff. In this video, you will rediscover that you are not alone. None of us are. The sooner we stop hiding in plain sight, the sooner we can avail ourselves of one another. But we have to stand up and be seen, however imperfect and quirky and incomplete we may feel. It is time we declare ourselves members of Team Human. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I do have and use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you? What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior? I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Autonomous technologies, runaway markets, and weaponized media seem to have overturned civil society, paralyzing our ability to think constructively connect meaningfully, or act purposefully. It feels as if the civilization itself were on the brink, and that we lack the collective willpower and coordination necessary to address issues of vital importance to the very survival of our species. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a reason for our current predicament an anti-human agenda embedded in our technology, our markets, and our major cultural institutions, from education and religion to civics and media. It has turned them from forces for human connection and expression into ones of isolation and repression. By unearthing this agenda, we render ourselves capable of transcending its paralyzing effects, reconnecting to one another and remaking society towards human ends rather than the end of humans. The first step towards reversing our predicament is to recognize that being human is a team sport. We cannot be fully human alone. Our most advanced technologies are not enhancing 
our connectivity, but thwarting it. They are replacing and devaluing our humanity, and in many different ways, undermining our respect for one another and ourselves. Sadly, this has been by design, but that's also why it can be reversed. Engineers at our leading tech firms and universities tend to see human beings as the problem and technology as the solution. When they are not developing interfaces to control us, they're building intelligences to replace us. Social control is based on thwarting social contact and exploiting the resulting disorientation and despair. These technologies could be steered toward extending our human capabilities and collective power. Thinking, feeling, connected people undermine the institutions that would control them. They always have. Language that could inform is instead used to lie. Money that could promote trade is instead hoarded by the wealthy. Education that could expand workers' minds is instead used to make them more efficient human resources. You see, in this summer, shorter evergreens are shaded by the canopies of taller trees, incapable of reaching the light and photosynthesizing they call through the fungus for the sun-drenched nutrients they need. The taller trees have plenty to spare and send it to their shaded peers. The taller trees lose their leaves in the winter and themselves become incapable of photosynthesizing. At this point, the evergreens now exposed to the sun send their extra nutrients to their leafless community members. For their part, the underground fungi charge a small service fee, taking the nutrients they need in return for facilitating the exchange. The story we are taught in school about how trees of the forests compete to reach the sunlight isn't really true. They collaborate to reach the sunlight by varying their strategies and sharing the fruits of their labor. Trees protect one another as well. Darwin generalized that social bonding was a product of selection. In other words, teamwork was a better strategy for everyone. Survival than competition. Evolution had less to do about rising about above one's peers, then learning to get along with more of them. The most direct benefit of more neurons and connections in our brains is an increase in the size of the social networks we can form. Complicated brains make for more complex societies. Our nervous systems learn to treat our social connections as existentially important, life or death. Threats to our relationships 
are processed by the same part of the brain that processes physical pain, social losses, such as a death of a loved one, divorce, or expulsion from a social group, are experienced as acutely as a broken leg. Humans are defined not by our superior hunting ability, so much as our capacity to communicate, trust, and share. While the plants bind energy, the animal binds space. Humans' social imitative and language ability give us even more binding power. What makes humans special is that we can also bind time. We don't need to experience everything for ourselves over the course of a single lifetime. Instead, we benefit from the experience of our predecessors, who can tell us what they have learned. Mental health has been defined as the capacity both for autonomous expansion and for homonymous integration with others. That means our actions are governed from within, but directed towards harmonious interaction with the world. This autonomy without interdependency leads to isolation and Narcissism, to have interdependency with no autonomy, stunts our psychological growth. Healthy people live in social groups that have learned to balance or better marry these two imperatives. Television was widely created as the single biggest contributor to the desocialization of the American landscape, the decline of national clubs and community groups, and the sense of social isolation plaguing the suburb, suburban frontier, that is, until the internet. Media companies and advertisers, who had decidedly less interest in planetary consciousness than they did in quarterly profits, became gravely concerned when they learned in 1992 that the average internet-connected family is watching nine hours less commercial television per week than families without the internet. Gone was connectivity between people replaced by one-to-one -one marketing relationships between individuals and brands. The platforms themselves were no longer in the business of delivering people to one another. They were in the business of delivering people to marketers. Humans were no longer the customers of social media. We were the product. The internet doesn't have to be used against a person's critical faculties any more than we have to use language to lie or written symbols to inventory slaves. But each extension of our social reality into a new medium requires that we make a conscious effort to bring our humanity along with us. We must protect our social human organism from the very things that we have created 
the more realistic a play world is depicted. The less play is involved and the more easily the player is manipulated to spend more time, energy and money in the alternate world. As gaming goes from toy to simulation, the player becomes the played. Similarly, as the technology goes from tool to replacement, the humans using it devolve from users to the used. Yes, the digital world offers more choices, but it is not the humans, or at least not the users, who get to make them. We are witnessing the first synaptic transmission of a collective organism attempting to reach new levels of connectedness and wake itself up. But the higher goal was entirely unprofitable. So conversations between actual humans were relegated to the comment sections of articles or better, the reviews of products. If people were going to use the networks to communicate, it had better be about a brand. Search engine, designed to promote academic thought, became the world's biggest advertising agency and a social media platform designed to help people connect, became the world's biggest data collector. The primary purpose of the internet had changed from supporting a knowledge economy to growing an attention economy. Instead of helping us leverage time to our intellectual advantage, the internet was converted to an always-on media, configured to the advantage of those who wanted to market to us or track our activities. Persuasive technology as it is now called, is a designed philosophy thought and developed at some of America's leading universities and then implemented on platforms from e-commerce sites to social networks to smartphones and fitness wristbands. The goal is to generate behavioral change and habit formation, most often without the user's knowledge or consent. While Team Human may be compromised in the digital environment, Team Algorithm is empowered. Surprisingly, the inability to establish trust in digital environment doesn't deter us from using it, but spurs more consumption of digital media. We become addicted to digital media precisely because we are so desperate to make sense of the neuromechanical experiences we are having there, we are compelled to figure it out, calibrate our sensory systems, and forge high-touch relationship in a landscape that won't permit any of these things. We instead become highly individuated, alienated, and suspicious of one another. If plants bind energy, animals bind space, and humans bind time, then what do network algorithms bind? They bind us on the Internet of Things. We, the people, are the things. 
projecting human qualities onto machines, like seeing a car grill as a face, or talking to a smartphone AI like a person, is called anthropomorphism. But this is the opposite. We are projecting machine qualities onto humans. Seeing a human being as a machine or a computer is called mechanomorphism. It's not just treating machines as living humans. It is treating humans as machines. A media environment is the behavior, landscape, metaphors, and values that are engendered by a particular medium. The invention of text encouraged written history, contracts, the Bible, and monotheism. The clock tower in medieval Europe supported the hourly wages and time is money ethos of the industrial age. It's another way that our prevailing technologies serve as role models for human attitudes and behaviors. Particular media environment promote particular societies. The invention of the printing press changed our relationship to text and ideas by creating a sense of uniformity while encouraging generic product and wide distribution. The television environment aided corporation in their efforts to make America into a consumer culture by helping people visualize the role of the new products in their lives. Likewise, the internet platforms most of us use are not merely products, but entire environments inhabited by millions of people, businesses, and butts. They constitute a new public square, main street, a fourth estate, by coming to recognize the embodied biases or affordances of today's digital media technologies, we enable ourselves to leverage their benefits and compensate for their deficits, rather than unconsciously just conforming to their influences. For example, the smartphone is more than just a device in a pocket. Along with all the other smartphones, it creates an environment, a world where anyone can reach us at any time where people can walk down public sidewalks in private bubbles, and where our movements are tracked by GPS and stored in marketing and government databases for future analysis. These environmental factors in turn promote particular states of mind, such as paranoia about being tracked, and constant state of distraction and fear of missing out. Before we surrender to the notion that we live in a world entirely determined by our media, we must remember that the influence goes both ways. Each of these media was itself the product of the society that invented it. Knowing the particular impacts of a media environment on our behavior doesn't excuse our complicity, but it helps us understand what we are up against. Which way things are tilted, this enables us to combat their effects, as well as the darker aspects of our own nature that they do provoke. All media environments have better and worse things about them. Television helped us think of the planet as one big organism, but also promoted consumerism and neoliberalism. The internet helps decentralize power 
and thought leadership, but also itemizes and isolates us from one another. Neither environment is necessarily better, but each new one requires a different response. The hardest part of learning to respond to a new medium is being able to see its effects in its own right, rather than through the lens of the prior era. Resistance is futile. The word resistance itself is the relic of the electronic age, where a resistor on a circuit board could attenuate the current passing through. There is no resistance in a digital world, only on or off. Anything in between is relegated to one or the other. Anyway, we can't attenuate the digital. There's no volume knob. There's no knobs at all. There are only switches. In the digital media environment, there is no resistance, only opposition. Except in order to stoke and accelerate growth, new paradigm-busting inventions like smartphones, robots, and drones must not only keep coming, but keep coming faster and faster. The math doesn't work. We're quickly approaching the moment when you will need a major civilization-changing innovation to occur on a monthly or even weekly basis in order to support the rate of growth demanded by the underlying operating system. Such sustained exponential growth does not occur in natural world except maybe for cancer. And then that growth ceases once the host has been consumed. There's a better, more human way to calculate the insulation equation. Instead of determining the investment required to insulate oneself from the world, we can look instead at how much of our time, energy, and money we need to invest into the world so it doesn't become a place we need to insulate ourselves from in the first place. Algorithms do reflect the brilliance of the engineers who craft them, as well as the power of iterative processes to solve problems in novel ways. They can answer the specific questions we bring them, or even generate fascinating imitations of human creations from songs to screenplay. But we are mistaken if we look to algorithms for directions. They're not guided by a core set of values so much as by a specific set of outcomes. They're utilitarian. To a hammer, everything is a nail. To an AI, everything is a computational challenge. We must not accept any technology as the default solution for our problems. When we do, we end up trying to optimize ourselves for our machines. Instead, of optimizing our machines for us. Motivating a society to address open-ended challenges requires a more open-ended approach, one that depends less on our drive towards climax than our own capacity for unresolved situations like life. And it requires living humans. The easiest way to break free of simulation is to recognize the charade 
and stop following the rules of the game. Transcending the game altogether means becoming a spoiled sport. Someone who refuses to acknowledge the playing field, the rules of engagement, or the value of winning. Why win, anyway, if it's only going to end the game? In a certain non-Western culture, the spoiled sport is the shaman, who is apart from the tribe in order to see the larger patterns and connections in a world where a person's success is measured by career achievements. The spoiled sport is one willing to sacrifice commercial reward for social good. In a middle school where social media likes are the metric of popularity, the spoiled sport is the kid who deletes the app or chooses not to own the phone at all. The spoiled sport takes action that makes no sense within the logic of the game. Such anomalous behavior challenges convention, breaks the conspiracy of conformity, and it stumps the algorithms. AIs and other enforcers of social control cannot follow what they cannot categorize. Weirdness is a power. Dissolving false binaries and celebrating the full spectrum of possibility. Eccentricity opens the gray area where mutations develop and innovations are born. Once we dispense with shame, we're liberated to experience the full, sacred, unlikely wackiness of being human. We exchange the vertigo of the uncanny valley for the exhilaration of awe. The state of awe may be the pinnacle of human experience. It's what lies beyond the paradox, dissolves the sense of self as separate and distinct. We experience ourselves as both the observing I and the whole of which we are a part of. It is an impossible concept, yet an undeniable experience of power and passivity, awareness and acceptance. Experience of awe can counteract self-focus, stress, apathy, and detachment. Awe helps people act with an increased sense of meaning and purpose, turning our attention away from the self and towards our collective self-interest. Awe even regulates the cytokine response and re reduces inflammation. Just a few moments of awe. People behave with increased altruism, cooperation, and self-sacrifice. The evidence suggests the, that awe makes people feel like part of something larger than themselves, which in turn makes them less narcissistic and more attuned to the needs of those around them. True awe comes with no agenda. It is not directed towards some end or a plan, or a person. There is no time, limit, or a foe to vanquish. There is no other. True awe is timeless, limitless, and without division. It suggests that there is a unifying whole to which we all belong. Hold on to that awareness. 
We cannot dominate nature for much longer, but neither can we retrieve from civilization. This cannot be a war between those who want to preserve nature and those pursuing progress. Team human includes everybody. If we respond to crisis in a polarized way, we surrender to the binary logic of the digital media environment. We become the thing we are resisting. Technology may have created a lot of problems, but it is not the enemy. Neither are the markets, the scientists, the robots, the algorithms, or the human appetite for progress. But we cannot pursue them at the expense of more basic, organic, connected, emotional, social, and spiritual sensibilities either. We must balance our human need to remain connected to nature with our corresponding desire to influence our own reality. It is not an either-or, but a both-and. It's not even a paradox. We can be utterly in charge of the choice not to be utterly in charge. We can be fully human without being in complete control of our world. We may be nature's great observers and problem solvers, but nature is not a problem to be solved. We must instead learn to work with nature, just as we must, must learn to work with the many institutions and technologies we have developed over the last millennia or so. We can't go back. We must go through. The relationship between individuals and society has always been framed as a necessary compromise. We are told we must sacrifice our personal goals for the sake of the many. But what if it's not a zero-sum, either-or? We humans are all part of the same collective nervous system. This is not a religious conviction, but an increasingly accepted biological fact. And there you have it, Team Human. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it and read. Never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready, to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.